In our series of on rekindling the passion, this morning I want us to see the all-important need to rekindle the passion for God's Word. Years ago, a pastor was in the home of a Mr. and Mrs. Oxley from Liverpool, England. And uh, Brother Oxley told this pastor about the funeral procession of David Livingston, who was, of course, the famous missionary that opened up the heart of Africa. And he said the funeral procession was one of the greatest that London has ever seen. And in the great throngs, a shabbily dressed man fought his way through the crowd to see the funeral procession go by. He was rebuked by the crowd, but he cried out, I have a right to see David Livingston. I know him better than any of you. We were in Sunday school together. He decided for Christ. I decided against him. You see, life is made up of wise in the road. Key decisions make all the difference. And we're looking, if you'll turn with me, to Psalm 1, the introduction to the Psalter. And here we see the heartbeat of God as he just lays down the groundwork for this entire beautiful 150 songs that are from the very heart of God through various authors, primarily David. And this first psalm makes it very clear. The blessings are for those who trust in God and in the covenant of God and the problems in life come from not doing that. And so this is the introductory psalm. No in-between road. Most of you are familiar with Robert Frost, the road not taken. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. It's from a secular perspective. But for the believer, the road less traveled is the road that is given to us here in the inspired Word of God. The Lord Jesus said in Matthew 7, 13, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. And so, as C.H. Uh, Spurgeon says, the psalmist in this, what he calls the preface psalm, desires to teach the way to blessedness and warn us about the destruction when we do not get on that way. And so, let's first here this morning look at the way of the godly. For in this section on the way of the godly, we're going to see the absolute essential uh, role of the Word of God in our lives. I am sure in these days your greatest comfort has not been what somebody said to you, though that has meant a lot. It has not been your own processing. I'll guarantee you, if you've had peace and joy in your soul, it has come through the Word of God. That's how God speaks to us. And of course, as we pray, he then takes the word and makes it very real to us. So the way of the godly, and let me just say, as we go through the way of the godly, you cannot help and you should uh, think 
of Jesus Christ. For he is this perfect one. Verse 1, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. You notice the emphasis there. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Several things here about the way of the godly. As we are going to be focusing on passion for the Word of God, this first point we need to understand is essential before we get to the importance of meditating on the Word of God. And so we're going to look at being separated from Satan's world system. And it's so interesting uh, and how this all begins. God blesses this way. And by the way, blessed is quite a word. It's in the plural. And uh, it, has, it means a multiplicity of blessings and, or an intensification of them. And one has translated it this way. Oh, the blessedness of the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Now, Modern psychology would tell us, mm, you need to emphasize the positive. <laughs> so here we are in the blessed part of the psalm, and whew, right out of the gate, it emphasizes the negative. Uh, he emphasized, the Lord does, that the happy, blessed man is marked by the things he does not do. Uh, the places which he does not go, the books he does not read, the entertainment he does not watch, by the company he does not keep. Now, the reason that this is important, folks, is so many believers will sit down out of duty to study, meditate, memorize, try to read the Word of God. But because of not understanding this first aspect of what it means to truly have this relationship with the Lord, their minds are cluttered, the flesh is in control, not the Spirit of God. And the very author is within us as a believer to illumine the Word to us, but he is grieved when we are meditating on the wrong things. And you cannot come out of things that are dominated by unbiblical kinds of pressures and think you can sit down and delight in the law of the Lord. So it's a very practical, obvious uh, matter here, but many times Christians forget it. And uh, so for the Word of God to be real to us, we need to understand that this is important. And so uh, uh, C.H. Spurgeon says, and I'm just going to go ahead and quote him here, when men are living in sin, they go from bad to worse. At first, they merely walk in the counsel of the careless and ungodly who forget God. The evil is rather practical than habitual. But after that... They become habituated to evil, and they stand in the way of open sinners who willfully violate God's commandments, and if let alone, they go one step further and become themselves pestilent teachers and tempters of others, and thus they sit in the seat of the scornful. 
they have taken their degree in vice and true doctors of damnation, they are installed. See, it's words to do how to say it, didn't he? Uh, but that's the downward steps that are taken. I'm just going to make a few comments on this, but we as believers do need to understand that the Word of God is precious for those who look to God first. The Lord is wanting to show Himself real. He is wanting to meet every need. He's wanting to answer every question. But when we are being taught by uh, by thinking that is not biblical first, and that aura is over us, we're going to have a very hard time really having a heart that is open to the Word of God. Now remember, as Ephesians 2.1 says about, the, about Satan, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked uh, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had our conversation in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath even as others. And so this, we have to remember that though culture is in and itself neutral, Satan takes and endeavors to utilize culture what we call the world, to cause us to get away from a proper view of God, a trust in the Lord, and to entice us to not do what is right, but to live according to the flesh. And so we're going to be talking about the delight of a person's life here being the Word of God. Let me ask, what is your delight here this morning? Is it music? Music can be good or it can be not so good. What about your relationships? What do you delight in there? Entertainment, sports, all of these have a good side to them. Physical enjoyment and escape, materialism. You see, Satan takes that which is good and warps it to tempt us to do that which is evil. That has always been what he's done from early culture way back to the book of Genesis, all the way through each level of culture that we live in. John Wanamaker, one of the country's greatest merchants over 100 years ago, made this statement. I have, of course, made large purchases of property in my lifetime. And the buildings and grounds in which we now meet represent a value of approximately $20 billion. Now, that was 120 years ago. It's <laughs> a lot of money. But... It was as a boy in the country at 11 years of age that I made my biggest purchase. In a little mission Sunday school, I bought from my teacher a small red leather Bible. The Bible cost me $2.75, which I paid in small installments as I saved. That was my greatest purchase, for that Bible made me what I am today. He had a great testimony. After that statement, the New York Herald Tribune captioned in a major write-up, later deals, deals in millions called small compared with buying holy writ at 11. <laughs> Fancy way of saying what he said. But I'm telling you, it is true. What is our delight? You see, if we're satisfied, if we are delighted 
by things that are not first and foremost the Lord and our relationship with Him and knowing the truth about Him, then we have a false satisfaction that numbs us to really having a heart for the Word of God and allowing the Spirit of God to work. It's like having a tremendous Thanksgiving meal to sit down to and having eaten two peanut butter and jelly sandwiches just a few minutes before. That is a very, excuse the term, dumb thing to do if you like a Thanksgiving meal. Worse than that, our appetites get satisfied in a way that is in opposition to what God wants for our life. So uh, you look at uh, the counsel of the ungodly here. Think of all the counsel we get from wrong sources, wrong friends. Uh, Then it talks about standing in the way of sinners and uh, participating in people's lives, active relationships. You know, we have a lot of active relationships that can really injure someone in in understanding biblical truth, social networking, those kind of things have made a whole new level of not necessarily deep friendships, but influential friendships in our life. We have to be very careful. Uh, Spirit-filled Christians are very guarded about what is allowed to influence them. It's got to start with the Word of God and then go in application from the Word of God. And then the seed of the scornful, an attitude of uh, just uh, looking down on the Word of God, making fun of people who desire to put the Lord first. That happens often in in teen uh, peer groups. It happens among adult peer groups. You know, the serious Christian, how much do you appreciate someone who is really all out for Christ? You know, to make ourselves feel better, we can sometimes make a few adverse remarks. That's, that's the seed of the scornful. We don't even want to go there. So I could go on in that, but my purpose today is look at delighting in the law of the Lord. Let's look again at verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. The opposite of associating with the world, and this is so simple, but I want you to get it. The opposite of associating with the world is associating with God. Are you a friend of the world or are you a friend of God? And one way to really make it clear where you are in all of that is how much do you love this book? How much time are you thinking, meditating, living according to it? How much is it real? How much is the Spirit of God delighting and stirring you and convicting you through the Word of God versus how much time are you really having your needs met other ways? And frankly, in our busy world that has all the distractions in it, that's a hard question for even sincere Christians to ask. How many sincere Christians will go through a few days and say, Lord, help me. I have really not meditated in your word. And no wonder I've gotten filled with anxiety. No wonder I've gotten hopeless. No wonder fear has come into my life. No wonder I've been reacting to other people. I am not thinking biblically. But the main passion for the Word of God ought to be that we want to meet with Jesus. We want to meet with our God. We want to know Him. We want to associate with Him. Oswald Chambers said things so well. If we understood understood what happens when we use the Word of God, we would use it oftener. (laughs) 
Listen, you've never been sorry for time spent in the Word, have you? You've never been sorry for time you spent with the Lord in prayer. Think of what God has done. Think of how He's answered your heart cry. Think of how He stepped into your life. And yet we still go the cheap route so often in our lives. Oh, we all know the Word of God is precious. We stand upon it. That's why we're in a church like this. But how much do we have a passion for it? John Wesley once wrote, I am a creature of the day passing through life as an arrow through the air. I am a spirit coming from God and returning to God, just hovering over the great gulf. A few months hence, I am no more seen. I drop into an unchangeable eternity. I want to know one thing, the way to heaven, the things about heaven. God Himself has condescended to teach the way. He has written it down in the book. Oh, give me the book. At any price, give me the book of God. And honestly, when you think about it, and certainly we have all been shaken to the core about it, life is very much a vapor. How we feel so indestructible. How foolish that is. We are finite We are on this earth for a moment and we're gone. Ah, but as a child of God, we're just starting eternity. But what we do here matters. And the only way the time here on this earth is going to have meaning is for us to have a passion to know God through the Word of God. As I mentioned earlier, Jesus Christ was designated by the Apostle John under inspiration in John chapter 1 as the Logos, the Word. And so as you learn the Word, you learn about God. You learn about Jesus specifically. Right now, I'm reading you a psalm about Him. On uh, Wednesday night, Psalm 23, who is the genuine good shepherd? The Lord Jesus. You find him in Genesis chapter 3, the one that would bruise the serpent's head, born of a virgin. Amazing prophecy right there in the, in the Garden of Eden. And so we find out who God is. We find out about his heart. We understand all the angles that we need to know. The, the word of God is a diamond of beauty. And more than that, it is the very revelation, as 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says, of the heart of God. Nothing that we could ever figure out, figure out as finite man of what an infinite God thinks, but he has told us here in this book. You have in your book the treasure of God's revelation to you personally about what is really important. Everything you need to know from creation to eternity, you have in the Word of God. It's a wonderful thing. It's a treasure that we need to embrace. God's law reveals His beauty, His holiness. He's trustworthy. He does all things right. He doesn't miss anything. He has already won the victory over Satan. And though in these days, because of the will of man, Satan still rules in the realm of darkness, we as believers live on the victory side, and that's how we ought to live. By the way, don't feel helpless because of what happens. God is in control. He's doing something. And we see how wonderful, if I use the word, how beautiful, glorious our God is. But for the Word of God to really 
mean something to us, we must yield to the interprompting of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you know the Lord here today, you uh, responded to everything I've been saying. You know it's true, don't you? You understand how important the Word of God is. But, you know, that doesn't mean that everyone here is really walking in the Spirit at the moment. Romans 7.21 says, I find in the law that when I would do good, evil is present in me, for I delight in the law of God in the inner man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Here you have this struggle. And so to take what we delight in and make it complete in our lives, we must yield to God's working in our lives through the Word of God. That's why going back to verse 2, we need to delight in the law of the Lord, but we need to go further than that. In His law doth He meditate, how much? Day and night. The key to how much we should be in the Word is revealed in how much does the Word dominate our daily life hour by hour. Do we think biblically or do we just think humanly? That's, again, another hard question to answer because we're so filled with knowledge. We have more knowledge thrusted us. Uh, you know, you can ask Google the dumbest things and you'll get a dumb answer or a good answer or whatever. I mean, it's amazing. Anything you want to know about anything. But that doesn't meet the need of the heart today, does it? But the Word of God gives us all the direction, everything we need, how to think. So meditating has the idea of ruminating on it, thinking about the Word of God, applying it to our lives, and letting it really be a part, fully part of who we are. You know, as you read the story of John Newton, the um, one that wrote Amazing Grace and many other great hymns, godly preacher, but you read of his early life, it was awful. It was terrible. And uh, he was saved uh, out of a very difficult situation. And you wonder, how, how could a man so wicked be saved? But listen to his testimony. My mother stored my memory, which was then very retentive, with many valuable pieces, chapters, and portions of scriptures, hymns, and poems. When the Lord at length, length opened my eyes, I found great benefit from the recollections of them. No word of God meditated and memorized is ever lost. We know of John Newton today because of a dear mother. She didn't have the help of what she needed in her home and all. But because she gave the word of God to John Newton, God was able to get a hold of his heart. And then he was able to become a great man of God because of that. It makes a difference. Now here is something I'd like to give you very practically this morning as we talk about meditating on the Word of God. John Phillips talks about the importance of what Samuel said, Speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. To make your meditation really effective, here are some questions that I'd like to submit to you. Is there any sin here for me to avoid or confess? That should be our first thing. Lord, whatever you show me, I'm going to deal with in my life. I will get it right. Is there any promise here for me to claim? Is there any victory to gain? Is there any blessing to enjoy? 
Is there any truth I have never seen about God, Christ, or the Holy Spirit, about man or sin? What is the main thing I learn here? By the way, does that sound a little familiar with the Discovery Bible method? Okay. What is the main lesson I need to learn here? Folks, if you will ask those questions, you will find the Word of God is just rich you were in the Bible reading this morning, what was the Bible reading? Psalm 1, 2, and 3. And Acts, first part of Acts chapter 16, there is just a myriad of things that will affect our lives if we will allow God to do it. So we need to have a passion for it. And again, I want to say, if we don't have a passion for the Word of God, then we have a passion for something else. Now let me just quickly mention that It should be producing consistent fruit, verse 3. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Jeremiah, uh, speaking of the same kind of thing, says in verse 7 of Jeremiah 17, Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord, and whose hope the Lord is. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters, and that spreadeth out her roots by the river, and shall not see when heat cometh. But her leaf shall be green, and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. And so we see here this beautiful symbolism of a life that is strong like, and prominent like a tree. It's permanent, it's not wavering, it's planted. It's protected. It has all the source of life that it needs, the rivers of water. It produces regular fruit. Remember when you abide in Christ, you'll bring forth much fruit, John chapter 15. And even during the inevitable trials, the leaf does not wither. I want to read to you a testimony. If you've ever read Green Leaf in Drought Time, some of you probably have read that. The writers of it said years ago a a couple who had gone to China as missionaries used this image to describe their life there after the communists had taken over at the end of Second World War. They were the Matthews and they were the last uh, missionaries to leave of the China Inland Mission to want to escape. For two years they were under communism. They lived with their young daughter Lila in in a small room. Their only furniture was a stool. They could not contact their Christian friends for fear of getting them into trouble. And except for the smallest trickle, their funds were cut off from the government. Heat came from a small stove, which they lit once a day to boil rice for dinner. The only fuel they had was dried animal refuse that Art Matthews collected from the streets. These were indeed dry times. But afterwards, when they wrote their testimony, God's grace in the midst of such provision, privation, excuse me, they called the book Green Leaf in Drought Time because they found that those who delight in the Word of God do not wither, but instead produce the Holy Spirit's fruit. Now, folks, that is absolutely true. If the Word of God is in your life, you are yielding to God's will through it. You are listening to the Spirit of God. You are immersed in the Word of God. You are following the principles of the Word of God. Nothing in life can take away the blessing of God. It's absolutely true. I'm just going to conclude with the second point very quickly, the way of the ungodly. 
It's a tragic thing. The ungodly are not so. They're like chaff. As the wheat is being winnowed, the chaff flies and is useless. The life is wasted. There in the first part of Jeremiah 17, verse 5, Cursed, thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and make his flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. For he shall be like the heath in the desert, and shall not see when good cometh, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land and not inhabited. There's nothing worse than living a life without the preciousness of the truth and the solidity of the truth of God. Queen Elizabeth I uh, had a long reign, and uh, she had done a lot of things to deliver Britain. But uh, when uh, she comes to the end of her life, her life did not have any fulfillment. And she was propped up on her throne, a haggard old woman of only 70, frantically hanging on to life. Um, and she was uh, desperate to, to try to overcome the last enemy. Her last words have rung down for centuries. All my possessions for a moment of time. But death took her. You see, friends, for a genuine believer, our life does not wither. Oh, yes, we get older. Oh, yes, we go through the hard times, but it gets richer. The fruit, the blessing, the relationship with God, the purpose, the power, the miraculous intervention of God to see our lives have eternal impact. And that's the final thing. Our eternal life is affected. Obviously, we first trust the Lord have eternal life. But we do need to remember 2 Corinthians 5.10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether good or bad. And those that stand at the judgment seat, believers, are not facing judgment as far as eternity, but it's all going to be around how much do we know God through the Word? How much do we delight in His Word? How much did we think his thoughts? How much did we have the mind of Christ? How much were the decisions of our life that which could be called good because they were spirit-empowered, not lost because they were fleshly decisions? You see, for whatever God has done will be what we will be known for once we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Not our works, it's God's work in us. And the only way he can have that work in us is through our yieldedness, understanding, embracing, and delighting in the Word of God. And so, friends, we need a passion. We need a passion for, uh, for God through His Word. Speaking of Queen Elizabeth, Sir Walter Raleigh spread his beautiful new cloak, as you well know, you know that story, in the mud that Queen Elizabeth might walk dry-shod, but he didn't have completely selfless motives. He had shrewdness and to know that nothing is lost that is given to royalty. <laughs> and friends, we have the royal book from the very heart of God. And nothing is in life is lost as we yield to him through following the gracious words that have come from the very heart of God. Friends, we have been affected 
by the temporary nature of life. The only comfort, the only purpose, the only meaning in life is when our life lines up according to the very heart of God as revealed in His Word. There's no substitute. There's no shortcut. There's no instant Christianity. It is all make taking the road that makes all the difference. I am going to trust my Savior for salvation, and I'm going to trust that God's way and God's way only is right. And I want to know His way thoroughly, and therefore I'm going to live with a passion for the Word of God. Let's bow for prayer.